Vawa, it's Zach and Lichichi. I'm so popular, and tonight we are initiating a very special project. This is a sequel to my episode Gay People and Branding with Kyle. I have with me a very special returning guest. Who are you? Hello, I am Kyle, the special returning guest. I'm so excited to be back here. Hi, Kyle. So I brought you back because this is the first in a trilogy of episodes I'm doing about the art of gay men. And we discussed gay people last year on the show. And we sure did. We did. And that was honestly the first time in my podcast that I really like started speaking without concern about getting in trouble. Hmm. And I really loved the furious kind of energy we got to together doing it. And I think that this is an important uh, step for this trilogy of episodes I'm planning because I think the state of homosexuality has only gotten bleaker in like the nine months since we recorded that episode. And as we pair the concept of gay people with the work of Andrew Holleran, one of my all-time favorite authors, I think we're going to do something really beautiful together here today. Me too. I'm so excited. And I agree with you. The state of homosexuality is in crisis. But here we are. Okay. So the state of homosexuality right now. I think currently we have reached a layer of extreme boredom and dullness and that's Mm. something i couldn't even say last year when we did our episode at least like we were rallied up and upset about how um pre-possessed and precocious like these fucking teenagers were and now everyone is just kind of doing the white gay lashings and the i hate whitey gays and the pride discourse with the most like Prozac addled, like blank 20 meter stare. It's dull, it's uninspired. At least, like, give me something fun to latch onto. Everyone who's like fighting for this pride discourse, which literally petered out before we even got to pride, was all just like the same blanket statements and like TikToks. And I'm like, when did we get to now TikTok pride discourse? That's where we really have fallen. Yeah, that's where the melt has gotten us to is that the young gay men instead of getting upset on twitter sort of getting upset on tiktok right and there was like no one even hot to look at like i don't understand like at least last year we got the bandana over like the penis and i'm like great a fun photo to work with this time we got just like a blanket muse statement that was like screenshot and passed around i'm like there is nothing for me to say about this like what what is there more to be said just look at the fucking picture No, just look at the picture. And the upsetting thing is that we don't have any beautiful, dumb men to kind of, like, culturally select as our cross to bear. There's Mm -hmm. literally nothing. It's nothing. It's, like, this whole cyber storm of nothing. Right. I mean, the best bet we have now is, like, Will Tansky and his Pixar face. But I even think that won't last for long after his Kylie Minogue moment. Like, he's going (laughs) to give us a few things, but he locked the door with 80,000 followers. Like, what's happening, girl? No, Will Tansky is our last hope for, like, a true gay villain and it not looking bright. It's not looking bright. I think he had a chance to truly, like, do something sick and twisted, but he's already done for. Like, it, it petered out before it began. No, it's deeply upsetting. I, I'm not sure what changed in these few months that has sort of made the whole energy around Pride discourse and gay people generally to just be so 
mechanical and uniform. Mm -hmm. But I really knew that it was all over when, like, a week into June, Bob the drag queen was tweeting a pride take. I'm like, okay, if she's saying it, you know that no one else has to add a comment. Right. And now, like, what and our newest thing was some Todrick Hall draw. I couldn't even last night, but I guess Todrick Hall was tweeting about pro-slavery. And I'm like, at least this is an interesting an interesting dilemma for us instead of just the general Wait, blase. Wait, Todrick Don't Hall was tweeting something pro-slavery? I, I think the tweets are still up, girl. I was out and about. I was too drunk to read them, but it was, like, like direct quote. <laughs> Todrick Hall said slavery worked and then continued on because of the new music video he came out with where it's a bunch of once again muscle gays and I'm like okay and that's no surprise but I will have to dissect that at another time because I do not know what happened <laughs> I just I just searched this on Twitter and uh, I started typing in Todrick Hall and the first thing that comes up is Todrick Hall slaver <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like he's the slave I know I'm like no but he is the one like pro I I what and then the first tweet on his uh, timeline is just, good morning. <laughs> oh, God. Honestly, I think that him, would be good. I would, yeah. I would, that's some gay drama I would live for. Like, now it's like, okay, this is going to be giving the gay drama of the month that we've been leading. No, we don't have, everyone's like, okay, everyone thought it was going to be the pride discourse was going to be the gay drama of the month. No. Mm-mm. Tatra Kahl was like, let me just, like, get my coin, get my screen time again, because Rue's done with me. So the conclusion we kind of came to in our first rendition of this topic was that gay people have sort of abandoned what makes our culture special and have, in a mass act of self-flagellation, have condemned all sexuality, have become boring and hateful towards their own culture. But now that hateful anger has like we uh have already suggested has sort of just been reduced into lifeless fog but what happened to bring us to this point like, i mean what i guess was it the winter was it this like post like first covid summer like where there was just so much energy and everyone was just like so riled up and it was like we can't go up but we will and then the winter like shut us down so maybe just no one was fucking and like there was just no sex to be had but now you see the sex starting to come back, at least here in New York. I don't know how Japan is, but like the things are reopened. There's people fingering each other on the dance floors and there's like back to the circuit party. So like the older gays are doing it, but like it is uninspired still. I'm like, I don't, there's not the same allure to it. And I think there is just a general wet blanket. Wet blanket. I think the major things that have changed is that we went through the back half of COVID and yeah. then the Joe Biden presidency also began. Yeah. So those are like the two big cultural moments. So perhaps it's something like now that there isn't like the political object for everyone mm-hmm. to channel their aggression onto, everyone has just sort of let all of their extreme emotions kind of just filter out into gush. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I I agree. Like Joe Biden, he doesn't <clears throat> he doesn't get me horny. He doesn't get me riled up. Like at least Trump got the people going. Joe does nothing for anybody. Like I just don't. There's no like more fun to be had there. So people like that's why there's so much more discourse and random takes happening because everyone who was like <clears throat> the millennial gaze. Oh my gosh, hold on. 
she has to clear her throat because she was smoking so many cigarettes last night. I know, it was a mess. It's like the electrocene impose. Like, let me just water this down. No, I'm just saying, like, the millennial gaze, like, that's what we were always saying, like, the same strikerfication of it all, like, where it was like, oh, political attack, like, let's just do this. Like, oh, stop Trump, stop the orange man, he's bad. Like, they all had to become these, like, new pseudocide political gays just by being white and a muscle man. Like, that's all they had to do. And now there's really nothing for them to say since, like, their favorite, like, girl boss is in office. So I guess, like, the takes have just kind of petered out, but everything is so, just so uninspired. Yeah, it makes me nostalgic for the Trump presidency, (laughs) because at least everybody then was riled up and, like, you know, obnoxious and screaming all the time, and... I love to read The Guardian, which is, I think, maybe the worst publication in the world. Um, Like, every single week, it's, like, these bizarre editorials would be, like, my pussy is so dry. Or it's, like, (laughs) I just just started a polyamorous relationship, and now I want to kill myself. It's, like, all (laughs) these, like, people freaking out. That's, like, my main news source because I like to watch the chaos. And they used to have, like, a different thing to scream about trump with every single article and now they're like but do you know about covid in india i'm like no they're like, way hanging on for dear life like they're literally trying anything i i also love the daily mail snapchat story i am still on that <laughs> app but like that is like the tr- most trusted news source for me like it will just talk about like if addison ray got a bbl like all these just random things i'm like this is the pressing news of the moment like, versus just this other shit that is like, okay, here's another think piece about what we could be doing to help, like, stop the waters from rising. And I'm like, we can't. No, yeah. Instead of the extreme behavior everyone exhibited during Trump, where people seem to be fighting for their lives every day <laughs> with, like, their eyes bugging out and just the black square, the no. complete freak-out energy, that made all of the gay takes, like, kind of thrilling and like high stakes and right. now what do we have the tiktok exactly because every one of those gays had to release a statement so it was so fun to just see how it'd be worded how they would attach their thirst trap with it it was glorious it was like so much fun just every day on twitter i was like what will this gay say today oh, but yeah. now like there's nothing they're not saying anything we're just back to like a thirst trap with the same thing like oh i'm into chubby guys and then everyone in the comments saying pick me and then everyone else quoting that tweet being like you don't follow any chubby guys. I'm like, every week, same thing. (laughs) (sighs) Every week, same thing. I mean, maybe it's always been like this. And I'm, you know, all of these conversations have been happening endlessly since the beginning of time, which, you know, for gay people is like 1965. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure that there's always been people being like, chubby people are hot. And then someone being like, you don't hang out with enough chubby people. You know, you don't right. you don't fuck any chubby people at the Everard baths, like. And <laughs> not seeing them, yeah. You taking them home on West Fourth? No. It's so maybe it is constantly happening all the time, but it just seems especially bleak and dire currently. Right, and it's just because we can all attach just so many <clears throat> photos of ourselves now as well that like everyone just is so much more permanently online together for us to all observe, where there's just more of the allure of like the passerby and everything else. And it's like, now we can just like really scrutinize from so afar away. And I guess, I think that there's not the same thrill to it. I remember when you were on your coming out journey around like Mm -hmm. sophomore year. Yep. And I had been out for quite a while then, but you know, I was still only 19 and uh, gay for the first time, like in a, 
living on my own and the right. outside of the house and stuff. I just have a lot of like nostalgia for how thrilling it was to start yeah. like learning about how to be gay and like going on horrifying like Craigslist dates in the summer or like just doing these new disgusting things and I just now I mean, I was, like, so thrilled by bathhouses last year. And, like, now right. I just don't have any passion for anything. <laughs> I know. I still remember when you set up Grinder for me and I was still, like, a DL, like, just, like, without a photo on the profile, just, like, <laughs> watching. I remember, like, just you setting it up for me. And I'm like, oh, my God, look at this, like, candy store of men. I mean, once again, it was the Eugene, the Eugene selection of candy men. store. <laughs> uh, like, bottom barrel, like, vegan hippie goodness. But we'll, we'll try our best. I fucked some really weird people in Eugene. Oh, yeah. I mean, the men, they're, like, the experiences, I still have them, like, logged in my little journal of, like, what happened here? Like, how did I get into this house in this random part of this city? Do you but, have a journal with, with uh, all the people you fucked in it? I do. I have, like, a little journal where I, like, keep, like, a note, and then I'll just be, like, hot or big dick or, like, balls right. or some action. But I try, to, I try to keep a log because I'm, like, I don't remember all this amazing sex I've had and the bad sex. Yeah, no, Fred Lemish, uh, the narrator of Faggots, has one as mm -hmm. well. And I have a list on my phone. I have an iPhone notes that has all of their okay. names in it or uh, what I can recall of them. And a straight person to me was like, you, you have that? That's so crazy. That's so twisted. Uh, I'm like, you don't have this? Like, don't you want to recall? Right. It's like, don't you want to remember these moments? I guess, I, I don't know. Like, maybe just straight people aren't really that attracted to the other sex. Like, we are to men. Like, men just are so beautiful and alluring. I'll always be <laughs> infatuated and I'll always want to fondly remember, like, and of course, the farther it goes back in my mind, the more I can just, like, suppose even more, like, the Ben Affleck three-way I was in. Like, he just, to me, continues to look more and more like Ben Affleck the farther I get away from that three-way. Your but... memory is, like, slowly turning all of the ugly, like, uh... <laughs> ugly rodent people that we've had sex with like into like beautiful celebrities <laughs> exactly i'm like oh that was so glamorous when i was 19 it gave me ecstasy wait do you like oh, he gave you ecstasy it was like my first time and i was like it was a little bit of it and i was like a little unsure it was like a three-way and i was like okay this is fun it was cute but the other guy was not that into it i think they thought i was too young and i and maybe i was because they were both in their late 30s but... oh i remember you telling me about that like one really rich guy like on this like the marble stairs or something oh i know that was when i like had first got into new york it was like in soho he's like this rich french man and it was like just took me i remember i got into his apartment he poured me like a little like glass of cognac and then all of a sudden we were on his marble stairs and it was like so so good oh my god wait do you have like that journal like on hand um i can like look for it let me see while we like yeah around. i just opened my notes and i'm already just so immediately entertained <laughs> i can only the first thing i have listed i don't know why i guess i think i just kind of like put these in as i remembered them because i didn't i didn't start keeping it at first the, the right. first one listed is private airline pilot <laughs> i remember that because it was uh he was staying at like the best western or whatever in like downtown eugene and i walked there Ooh. It was okay. I have mine. I have mine here. I have on the rooftop of the one hotel Miami, the mayor's conference. It was a mayor of a small town outside Boston. We were in the stalls. Oops. Oops. I shouldn't be saying this on a podcast, but I'm glad I am. <laughs> no, this is good because um, you know, when you have your movie come out, you can really be uh <laughs> 
well, because you know, gay art makers now, it's like, what what are they doing? They talk right. about this on Thought Topics all the time. It's like gay art currently is like, oh my god, isn't it so funny that we have like a candle that smells like crotch? Oh, crazy. And then I it's know. like Drag Race, and then it's like Love Simon. Right. Those are like the three one things. Or yeah, exactly. It's like just like a bunch of like a crude drawing of a butt. And I'm like, I'll always be intrigued, but it's the same butt every time. It's the same hairy big ass. I'm like, okay, cool. Oh yeah, it's but, like a lot of people being like, oh, I drew this guy I hooked up with. And it's like the like pet, like line art drawing. And it's like, <laughs> oh, and I'm looking at my phone after because we just hooked up and that's it. It really is. It's like the new version of like the sort of like millennial bride font or whatever, like that brush script, <gasps> like all the girls have, like that is like our version of it. It's like the gay like line art of like a man, like on their phone after sex or something. And I'm like, well, I see it so, I see it so many different times. And sometimes there's a little bit of color in there or whatever, but I'm like, it truly is the same image that everyone's drawing. Why doesn't he love me? <sighs> it's like, he never wants to cuddle. It's like, yeah, because you're annoying and ugly. Okay, here's a good one. Filipino guy obsessed with poppers. Mm, yeah. Which are not legal in Japan, but he had them. I'm glad he was able to smuggle them in. I don't, I, I think I'm so cute. I've like met two guys in Japan who had poppers and I was like, where did you get them? Yeah, I can't you to buy them like drugs. I, that's so insane to me. Like they are just truly free flowing in this city. Like I see bottles scattered everywhere. And like now just everyone's doing it. Like the like, straight TikTok teens love them. And like, I see them at like every like Washington Square Park littered all over the place. I'm like, this was just used to like have a quick high. Like there was no like sex even being had, which is, is fine. So like you weird. can do whatever you want with the poppers, but I'm like, no, Ew. like I want something in my ass if I'm going to be taking the poppers. No, for sure. I, the poppers are really demonic and only for gay people. And if you're a straight person yeah. taking them to be like funny and cute, it's like, um, okay, cool. We need to gatekeep them again. Yeah, gatekeep poppers, for sure. Gatekeep poppers. Yeah, I have this other one. In the skinny boy's loft in Manhattan. Oh my god, such big dick. That's cute. Wait, did you say the, the skinny boy's loft? Yeah, he was like a, just a real, I'm remembering oh, it now. I thought, I thought this is like an actual place called like skinny boy's loft. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I should open that. Yeah, Go for come. sure. Uh, I have a lot of people who don't have a name in here. Oh, I have so many. Like, I just have, like, this guy who worked at Vanity Fair. I have, like, so many no names. And I'm like, damn. Oh, no. So these are kind of bleak as well. Yeah. Uh, one of them is track runner with a, dev a developmental disability. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I do that? Um, <laughs> there's a, oh, no. Oh, no. I just what? saw the guy from the co-op named Starshine with a question. No, uh, Zach, run. No, run the, I remember doing that because it was when I was living at the stoop. And yep. I just was like, you know, on grinders, one is like, when you're age 21. And, um, and some guy at a co-op was like, hey, do you want to come over and like chat? And I was like, I'm not doing anything. So I went over and I made out with Starshine. Mm. Oh, it's not a man. It's a they them. So I okay. just misgendered well, you them. You misgendered during Pride. I, so. <laughs> I misgendered Starshine during Pride. The cancellation of Zach Lignichichi <laughs> over Starshine. Have, okay, wait. The co-ops, though? That was a gay moment for sure. Absolutely. I Do remember, remember still that tie-dye party. 
Yes, what? button at the tie-dye party. Yes, that's that that party was something else. Like button, everything that was happening there. I remember stealing <laughs> that giant bottle of like Kraken from like whatever those like people that live there and just getting so fucking drunk. Okay, to set the scene, this was freshman year of college yeah. when uh, a lot of our friend group was involved for the the students for choice pro choice. <laughs> <laughs> Go girls go. And we had our annual Roe v. Wade party at this. <laughs> <laughs> we really did. What was it? Like the theme was like just like 70s. I think it was just like 70s. Yeah. I mean, all I had was like a tie-dye shirt and some like a weird headband and glasses, but oh, I tried my best. Oh, and there was the marching band. Yes, there was the marching band. Oh, oh my God, it smelled so bad in there. I remember this all so Oh my God, it's all coming back to me. I can't believe that I just like shelved this memory. It's so good. Wow. And they were all like right next to each other. There was like three co-ops in a row. Oh, it was always so beautiful as it was juxtaposed with that giant sorority house there. Right. And then you walked in there and it was just like a queer hell on earth space. I was like, truly, this is what we let. I like when you let them just run and run amok in this house, like this is what happens. Yeah. And, the, and like the communist like breakdown, like disaster, mm. like ruptured houses um my friend emily lived in one of them and during a summer i loved going over there like it was always delightful because there was some sort of like bleak chaos happening but i just recall like how thrilling and novel and vogue it was to like encounter a gay person like button just like running around and flouncing i was like there are other gay people right and like gay people that i was like actually like intrigued to be around and not the ones that were just like sit and look at me and i was like cute because like when when we were it was still weird to be gay a little like we you know that was right before marriage was legalized and i feel like at that time was like kind of the the moment where gayness became like truly an an across the board acceptable thing so there was still like weird shame moments and darkness around declaring yourself a faggot but oh, now I, I can't imagine that anyone feels any sort of i mean everyone's clamoring to be a faggot nowadays like everyone wants to be us that's so true the bisexual <laughs> men and the you know quotes to mm-hmm. me with their one painted black nail yeah their one nail their one dangly earring and their like middle part and i'm like honey and it's like oh my god you made out with someone that's so thrilling you made out with right. a man crazy and then you have the straight girls who love drag race now and like love denali and all those other oh they love denali tags. like come on they love denali and i like watched and i'm like like i really i'm like what is she giving like she is this a retired like ice princess queen who is like hanging on to relevancy but why won't she put a corset she got on, on the show so what can i say i'm a hater from afar but i will still hate her i why won't she put a fucking corset on I don't understand why she chooses to do the things she does. And I'm like, yeah, she can like lip sync, but she's on, she has to because like she's giving nothing else. Lip syncing is the lowest art form of drag. It's the worst part of it by far. Um, Even like the, oh, artistic lip syncs and stuff. All of it sucks. I mean, I have to do it because that's what is expected of a drag queen. And I have my, uh, my unique stylings towards it. But I fucking hate it. I think listening <laughs> is so stupid. <laughs> we'll find the new way, Zach. You'll bring us into the future of drag. I know, find a new way. But no, it's like that. The reason I hate it is because it's like the thing that can be like trained and it's like you can become mm-hmm. like good at it. You know, it's like, oh, you can do the death drop. Like you can learn to be. Anyone can like train themselves to be good at it. So there's like no 
art in it at all. Like, I don't understand. I don't even think like Denali understands that she's the drag queen other than just like she is like performing. I don't know. I don't like, I just, I don't even think she knows what drag is. I don't think she does at all. She's definitely never given a blowjob in drag. Absolutely not. Never. And at that point, what's the point? No, seriously, any drag queen who like hasn't done something like that in drag, it's like, you're not a drag queen, you're a clown. <laughs> you're you're you a children's a clown. clown. Yeah. And you are attracting the children. Ugh, Nina West. Oh my God. What was happening on Nickelodeon? <laughs> this is what I'm saying. It's gone too far. Like, I, it's gone too far. Yeah, because once there's no shame and like once everyone is just like, ah, okay, it's great to be gay. Everyone wants to be gay. What we get is like a culture of really wimpy, unattractive straight men with horrible facial hair who love Nintendo, who are right. all spiritually gay, but, you know, sexually heterosexual. And mm-hmm. then we get gay people who arrive on the conveyor belt to start spouting off stupid takes on TikTok. Like, yeah. Where are they coming from? They're coming in mass now. Like, I go on TikTok, I stop scrolling for one second. Suddenly my entire, like, algorithm has me aligned to just watch twink after twink after ugly twink after, like, just horrible, horrible takes. I'm like, where are they coming from? Why are there so many now? I have to say this, like, the white gay hatred is, like, the only thing that has any energy behind it. Like, that's the only thing that people really like to... Because the pride discourse stale and tepid but once the white the yt gay is uh written out in the tweet people are fucking furious people will like come in mass like that is still the like the last thing that gets the people going so i need to reorient the way i view these people when they start shrieking about white gays is like a it's performance art like it's a show of emotion it's just it's it's the new easiest thing to say yeah it's just (laughs) it's the villain and you know Mm -hmm. Okay, go ahead. Um, I really like to watch people like work themselves up into a tizzy about it, I guess. Like that's how I need to see it because right. they uh, are kind of constructing like this fake monster and the motivation seems to be mostly out of um, jealousy that they don't have a six pack and aren't getting railed on Fire Island. Right. Oh my God, I saw the Fire Island one that went around where like it was like someone filming like the Fire Island house. I was like, girl, I want to be there. I was there once before. It was so fucking fun. And like you have someone who's like 17 at home and I'm like, first off, you're not going to be there. You wouldn't be there. One day you'll want to be there. But like then the takes are like, this looks like horrible. I would never want to be the lack of flavor, the stench. I'm like, y'all, you just don't understand because you're not there. Like it is so fun. Get railed on Fire Island is the dream. How could anyone not realize this? Like, This is a beautiful, like, complete round circle from where we started this conversation, like, nine months ago with the same frog shrieking outside. It's, like, (laughs) people just need to embrace, like, the evil of their homosexuality, and it's, like, stop being a whiny teenager. And if you're, like, a woman in your 20s, if you're, like, a a queer woman and you're doing this, it's, like, you are misplaced. Like, Mm -hmm. it's misplaced energy. I don't understand. No, I don't, I, I do understand. It's like these people are fucking insane. It's that they don't have anything to be emotional about. So they just um take out their dissatisfaction with their own sex lives and their fear around being a vulnerably sexual person by like attacking gays who uh, 
don't even have to think before there is a dick in their mouth or right. their own being placed in that of another's. Like, all we really have is, like, the carnal pleasure of sex. Like, that is what, like, being young and alive is all about, is, like, having sex and, like, being beautiful and enjoying it all while we can. And I just feel like some people are shrouding it off. And then they'll come to the point where, as we've talked about and we will talk about, like, with Andrew Holland, like, as you grow older, like, the beauty fades. So, like, enjoy it. Lap it up while you can. Why would you ever choose to be, like, a little moral scold on TikTok repeating the same point that you've heard 500,000 times? Why would you ever do that when you can just, like, actually experience beauty? Like, people don't... There's, like, it's, like, bad to be horny. Like, I got in trouble on Twitter, like, a few weeks ago because I said that being horny is, like, a beautiful emotion. It is. It is. It's, like your body makes you starts like possessing you and driving you to do things that you are do not really even want to do necessarily it's like that's sublimity it is and it's like there's a beautiful thing inside of us it is like as you said like a possession like i would love to get possessed by a demon but like we already have that inside of us and it's the horniness horniness so let her out and let her free yeah like what else like makes people feel that way like i guess love um, I mean, you've had a boyfriend, which is a development since our last one. Yeah, um, I have. What, what do you I think have. about gay love, Kyle? <laughs> what do I think about it? Is it eternal? Can it last? Will it last? I think it's so, it is amazing to be able to be like really comfortable and have so much sex with my boyfriend. I'm like, now like it's great. Cause like before my boyfriend, I was just having obviously sex with tons of other people. And now it's like, I have my boyfriend and we just like have gotten into like beautiful routines and like just like have found new ways to express our bodies and our love, but it, it is hard. I'm like, I also have to like love myself too, as well to extend it to someone else who also is learning to love themselves. So like there is that intricate delicacy to it, but I really enjoy lapping it up and like we have great sex. So. You heard it here first. Uh, love is just merely having good sex with someone. I think that the way out of this completely repulsive and boring TikTok climate of dryly delivering takes and declining sex and becoming a moral little scold and being completely miserable is, of course, first to be an abject slut. But Mm -hmm. more importantly, I think it's to sort of emulate and worship the gay culture of the 70s. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you are absolutely right there with it, Zach. Like rereading this, like 
I like we need to bring this back now. Yes. And I really started developing a nostalgia for 70s gay culture like in my first few years of college um when I started having like these horrifying sex experiences with like people in co-ops named Starshine or like these right. other frightening monstrosities of people you know it's like I I didn't know what to do with all of that and then I started reading like Larry Kramer and Andrew Holleran and I saw that what I was doing was actually a sort of like ritual appreciation of how people used to act in the 70s and um I'll be talking next episode too about Larry Kramer but one of the most preeminently beautiful and moving and truthful about the 70s gay experience and the AIDS epidemic is Andrew Holleran. Absolutely. And I loved his book so much that I wrote my undergraduate thesis about him and Larry Kramer. Um, I remember that. My, was, that was my big star moment of my undergraduate mm-hmm. was doing that presentation and getting my honors on my thesis for it. <sighs> oh my, wait, what, what do they call it? distinction is that what they distinction. said yeah on my honors college thesis i got distinction about my gay essay my hundred yeah. page gay essay but i remember i started telling literally every gay person around me to read andrew holleran and eventually you did eventually i pulled through i remember like every time you're like kyle why are you reading i was like why am I reading Where the Crawdads Sing? Where did this book come from? And you're like, read Dancer from the Dance, get your ass into some real shit. And I'm like, you're right. So, yeah, I mean, I first got into Dancer from the Dance last summer when I, my copy arrived. Yeah, so I read it um, when I thought my mom was dying because she had uh, some weird pancreas thing happen to her and uh, started vomiting, like, black vial everywhere. And so yeah. while she was um, healing and I took, like, a week off of school to, like, sit at her bedside, I read um, Dancer from the Dance and I read Mein Kampf. <laughs> A, a beautiful pairing. Yeah. <laughs> Not because I wanted to become a Nazi, just because I was, uh, I suddenly became very interested in, like, uh, I don't know, the workings of fascism or whatever. So, yeah, I sat there and I read, uh, I read Dancer from the Dance in, in one day, but I read Mein Kampf over the, the rest of the week. But what was kind of your experience with Dancer from the Dance reading it last summer? I think, like, for me, just because obviously it's, like, about the old New York and the old dance scenes and the discotheques and the bathhouses, I was, like, so glamorous while I was reading it. I was like, I can see myself there because I've been able to go out to whatever the hell's kitchen bars and like the ones in Brooklyn. And like, I've had my moments at this dance, but like the way that like the, just the whirlwind and like the whimsy of these like moments and just the true, like just disparity that happens afterwards when you're alone in your apartment. I was like, it was so amazing to read. And I was like, this is that energy. Like I feel myself when I'm at the dance entering the dance yeah absolutely andrew holleran is one of the most brilliant writers i think of the last 50 years because he has such a incredible eye for those extremely specific moments and sometimes mm-hmm. they're as broad as like oh like i'm dancing with a hot guy at the club and like i can see his abs and like it's a a three-page sequence where he just, like, goes into, like, the precise mechanics of, like, how the musculature is, like, moving underneath this guy's skin and the heavenly emotion as, like, Donna Summer is playing and, like, all of a sudden you start, like, climbing towards God. Um, So it's, like, those gorgeous moments, but it's also, like, 
waiting for the phone to ring, like sitting there, like having a cigarette, like thinking about your friend, like writing a postcard. And those moments too also are given like the same grandiosity. So the whole book has like this quality of reading it where like you feel like you are summoning towards heaven every page. I I completely agree. I mean, as you watch him go, yeah, from the dance to home to like Sutherland's and all of this stuff, just like the amount of detail that are like put into those like just forgettable moments in our lives, but they are the moments that we are just, we are burdened with. And like, he finds the beauty in it, which is so, which is so great because uh, the beauty fades every day around us. And like, that's also very much captured as like, you see the protagonist, like, embracing like how hot he is but also like the fear of growing old right because he's the the sort of conceit of the novel is that the protagonist is like an especially like beautiful like midwestern transplant who comes to um new york and is immediately sort of like this image that the entire scene has to start dealing with and like figuring out how to do it and and him ultimately like manifesting that power and like doing something with it and he is accompanied by a just an enormous cast of uh supporting characters and of course like the most obvious is Sutherland right who is a kind of a drag queen very kind of a drag queen kind of trans like very her own fairy well that's my favorite thing about him is that it's like the pride discourse that also gets resurrected every year is like Marsha P. Johnson. Like Marsha P. Johnson threw the first brick at Stonewall. Like Stonewall was a black trans move. And it's like, okay, like there were certainly gender non-conforming people. And like Marsha P. Johnson came at like the very end of the night. But it's like being trans did not mean the same thing in the 70s that it means now. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that is a whole other thing that like that word as well, just like the power and the meaning it has has transformed uh, so many times, whatever. But like, yeah, when you look at just like what happened at Stonewall, like it was also a bunch of like white horny gays dancing too. Like they were also the ones there doing their thing. Like that's just how it was. Like that was the dance and you were out there with this like mishmash community of people that were like glorious in their own way instead of just like the quick label we attach now. Right, exactly. And that's something that I think is really misunderstood about like lgbtq history or whatever is that like th- everyone was just like the same for a long time it was like you're a faggot like it doesn't like the precise mechanics of your identity don't mean anything it's like you're just a faggot so a lot of these people like sutherland in this novel and Marsha p johnson herself were like they did a lot of like gender non-conforming public presentation, but like Sylvia Rivera also like never truly identified like as a trans woman herself. Like these people were people who just did stuff with gender as like they felt like it, and there wasn't like such a stringent border of identity around it. Right, and just the idea now that because everyone is their own identity, and I think people understand that, but now we have to create a classification for every identification which is is an insane process it doesn't it doesn't make any sense like the whole thing is like almost hypocritical and like your identity is your own but like we'll still be othered like just embrace the faggotry of it all like bring that back and like let's go no exactly because that's like what makes this character so fascinating and like so immediately charismatic because not only does like the novel like really 
present him endlessly as like this really like witty amusing figure but it's like the transgression and like the gender stuff it's all like more points to this like charisma score just because of it's like lack of specificity it's like you don't need to know every small detail about the workings of this person's gender because it's more alluring and fascinating when you don't get everything because you don't need to you don't need to and that's also like what is so beautiful about the dance is like once you're in it like you are now the dance which is like everything that's happening and you see that like when they're on fire island together and just all of these moments that are just so like uh, I, I, I just like it makes me giddy like when I'm reading that and I'm like I can feel like the life that is currently like happening that are just like exploding off the pages really like it is that mo- that enrapturing when I remember like reading it next to my dad on a road trip when I was reading this book last summer and just like literally being in my head like oh my god like I'm a faggot like I am like on drugs I am at this club I'm on fire island I'm going to the meat rack and then sure enough I'm just like right next to my father but I'm in my own world and that was the beauty of it which is being able to like escape right back absolutely and this is honestly one of like the seminal and like biblical texts of like 70s gay culture worship that I think everyone should do like in the same way that like western culture like idolizes like Greek and like Roman art it's like I think gay people need to be doing this more with the 70s um mm-hmm. because like you said it's like reading it is just this fucking passionate experience where you you get to see how much sublimity exists like in the daily operations of being a creepy homo Right. How do we make this the next Percy Jackson? Like, get this in, like, <laughs> the teens. No, because it's, like, all the gay books now, I mean, you like A Little Life, and I hate it, but it's... I was moved by A Little Life, but <laughs> I, I, yeah, but I did kind of like it. Like, I won't, I won't deny it. I also kind of liked it, because I liked just the extreme length about it. Was, it and Right, it was such an undertaking, for what? I For what? And I like that it, it, it's very Fifty Shades of Grey to me, and just, like, how... Um, ridiculous it, it goes towards its emotion it's like okay we're just going to be so much like bizarre pointless depression that has like no real reason and like the endless suicide attempts I was like kind of like oh. tickled because I was like I can't wait for this character to finally like kill himself so we don't have to read anymore <laughs> and that was the worst. and like no spoiler alert but I like it took so long I was like we know that this is coming and like you have like all the illusions like the insane things that she puts her char- that character through, Jude or whatever, like, and then when we find out at the end of, like, the man in the car and, like, him getting beaten by his boyfriend, I'm like, wow, like, she is really tearing this faggot apart. Good for her. But Good for her. With, like, A Little Life and with, like, Call Me By Your Name, which uh, both happen to be written by heterosexuals, like, the kind of, like, mm-hmm. big gay texts that have emerged, like, in the last 10 years, it's, like, not one of them. And also, um... On Earth, We Are Briefly Beautiful by Ocean Vuong. Like, all of these books have absolutely no sense of the sublime. I haven't read that one, but I could already kind of get the vibe from it. And, like, the A24, like, element, I think they're adapting it. I'm like, are they I really? can already see exactly what, yeah, I think they oh, have the right. Of course they are. Of course they are. And I'm like, I can already just see, like, the just general, like, the layout is fair, like, the look of it all. And just, like, the sort of, like squandered moments and just like sitting there and i'm like no that is not the gay reality no because it's like there's not any of the extreme emotional sublimity that you get like in dancer from the dance when you're just like Mm -hmm. you can see how like these like sexual interactions and like identifying yourself as like 
a member of this larger culture and how powerful and evocative it is. All these books are just like, oh, wow, like, it's hard to be gay. No one is horny. Um, No one's horny. Yeah, in these books, like, they barely, like, there's, like, zero, like, sex or, like, imagery. I'm like, you know that, like, every gay is, like, horny as fuck, has, like, had all these beautiful, at least, visions in their head if they haven't had the chance to, like, be out there and live their, like, fully sexual life yet. But I'm like, that is a monumental gay. Like, where is the sex? Like, where is, like, the passion and, the like, the love? Instead, it's just so much of, like, like, wistful glances from afar and just, like, imagining what it would be like to just kiss him. I'm like, uh-uh. Like, I want to know what it's like to have his dick in my ass. Yeah. <laughs> totally. No. I'm just depressed when I think about these contemporary gay books because it's like when you try to force the culture and your own like demonic self to like be like this like very cute like nicely composed like what is it like to kiss him like oh my god it's like you'd lose all of like the amazing horror and objection that comes from being disgusting at a club Oh, there is so much to learn and discover, like, after a, a true night of debauchery and, like, disgust that you feel. And I'm, like, the way that, like, kind of, like, it just sticks in your guts for, like, a day after and you're, like, thinking about it and, like, only you have that, like, true memory of exactly what has happened. And it's just, like, it just, it makes, it, oh, my God, it fuels me. Like, it really does help me grow. And that's why I'm liking now that the pandemic is over here, at least. And I'm able to, like, go out and, like, have these just, like, moments where I'm like yes this is what I want to be doing like on the dance floor like that one video that was like shared around at that Thai tea three dollar bill party like where there's the two muscle gays fingering each other I'm like that should be me and like that can be me yeah and it should be everyone like just go into the sex orgy like make the whole world like a complete just <laughs> let's fuck all up. have sex everyone's everyone fuck now <laughs> <laughs> out everyone turn off the podcast go go seriously <laughs> I was I mean I was in Tokyo this weekend I think I mentioned this already and pandemic is not over here hardly but the whole time i was there and was just constantly surrounded by these beautiful men who just have like these gorgeous qualities about them in the smallest ways it's like you see like the cut of a guy's shirt where like his chest is like a little more obvious or it's like an artful earring or like a haircut that implies like some mysterious boyishness it's like andrew holleran is the only author who is like horny about men in the way that is true to the experience of it. Agreed. Oh my gosh. Like the way, and then I'm not trying to like take us off into the beauty of men, but yes, like reading that as well. And just like him sitting by the lake and just like watching and describing the men that come by and just like able to understand like the different body parts and what's right. And just like listening to like his descriptions. I'm like, yes, this is how I would kind of write a description in my sex journal. You know, I'm like, he was already like just doing the cataloging and the work that so many authors now fail to do in, like, describing the beauty of men. Exactly. I am. I get so emotional thinking about it, honestly, because the way that he writes these men is, like, the only time I've been like, oh, me, I felt represented. I was like, I have spent how many years of my life now? Probably, like, since I started sexually developing, like, constantly learning how to like look at men without like leering Mm. at them so that you can like memorize small parts of them that make them beautiful in like these really minute ways and andrew holleran is the first author to like truly see it right and like just the able to like yeah because i fall in love on the train and like in new york every day there's so much just like attraction and just a sexual energy as well that like exists from just like 
these men that don't even look at me, but or when you do, like, you just have that quick glance and just like that gay glance where like we just can see and know and I'm like, can just take in all that information I need to, but still need so much more. Yeah, I just like, making eye contact with guys in Tokyo is like, I'm gonna kill myself with how like, strongly I, I feel about this. The train. Seriously, I'm like, stop looking at me, but like, just like bear into my soul and take it. I know, it's like two human hearts, like meeting for just that one small moment is so powerful that um, I just, I can't wait for the pandemic to end because I want to throw <laughs> myself into the bathhouse and like incinerate. I can't wait for it. And that's um one thing that must be said about Dancer from the Dance is that this is a, a mournful novel at the at the mm. end of it, but in a, in a way that is not so it's not so finger waggy and scolding as someone might want to read it as because it it does have a critical eye towards the culture and um Sutherland ends up drowning at the end of the novel very beautifully. Um mm-hmm. But it it does have the suggestion that, of course, like, this beauty fades and it's not forever. And the sort of the axis that gay culture and gay identity works on, which is should is and should be observing and experiencing beauty, like, it's fundamentally broken because it, it leads you to what comes in your 30s and 40s. It is, and I and it was. It's interesting as well because yes, we're both what on the precipice of twenty five this year. So yes. it's like we were exiting the young twenties, whatever that, whatever we are. But you know, it's like the thirties still loom on the horizon. And like, I, it's interesting because like Andrew like writes like the thirties are capital I T. Like the thirties are it. Like, and that's when like I guess you know the men like are able to have passed their their youth and like entered their prime, but still maintain that beautiful nature about them. And then, like, there is still beauty to be had as we grow older, but it is impossible to see. And, like, we just don't look. Exactly. I I think a lot about the scenes where the protagonist, like, enters the club and, like, everyone kind of, like, stops and, and looks. Mm-hmm. And you get those, like, several paragraph sequences just hearing about how he's received in the room. And I remember when I was in Canada and I walked into that bathhouse for the first time and, like, everybody, like looked at me and I felt like the sun I was like yeah. I was light on earth and the I mean it's a beautiful experience but it's innately evil because that can only happen so many times before the culture kind of like ends up abandoning you and right like, like the moment you actually walk through that door at that point you're not new or fresh anymore like you have like those glorious moments but then it's like the like just by simply showing up, you have shown yourself and like you've played your card. Yeah, and having the experience automatically dooms and curses you to the moment that is inevitably coming in your future where you cannot experience that anymore and it's like locked away as a memory. Mm, and you're just truly invisible and stuck to the wall as the new beautiful man <laughs> enters the room. And it is so daunting and it's like we are still so young and so beautiful and I'm loving it and I'm enjoying it. But there is like, oh, the general growth. I'm like, it, it beauty fades, but you can still hold on to it. Yeah. So Dancer from the Dance kind of makes the initial suggestion and um, identifies like the doomed nature of uh, our sublime and beautiful experiences, gay men. But his uh, novel from 2000, The Beauty of Men, is the novel that realizes that curse and is a punishing, like, 240-page read where um, there is so much beauty and all of it is evil and horrifying. 
it's all evil in this like the beauty that is there is like either disease ridden or it has nothing to do with our protagonist and he's lost it and he's lost really like any point of life other than his mother and that's all he can hang on to and it's just uh, even as he bathes her and like he finally like gets to like see like her skin and herself and like he can't even look at him like he can't look at himself yeah so andrew holleran had a major sort of career transversal when the hiv aids epidemic started because um Dancer from the Dance was published, like, in 1978, um, right around, like, Faggots as well, and then uh, these two gay authors specifically then began reconciling with HIV-AIDS during the uh, epidemic, and it was during that time that Andrew Holleran wrote a series of nonfiction essays, and he later went on to write his most recently published novel, which is Grief, along with a short story um collection called in september the light changes and all of these books then take like the beautiful culture we see in dancer from the dance and turn it into its final terrifying form yeah absolutely and just the description as well of like because you have in dancer from the dance it's all in new york it's all on fire island it's all there it's in the city no this book's in florida it's in literally like gainesville florida and just like the like humidity and like the just the stank and the flies and just the lake and I'm like I see it in that restroom I can smell it just while I'm reading those pages and it's like this is where we're doomed to die yeah so the book follows like a New York refugee basically (laughs) like he he flees New York after the um AIDS epidemic to take care of his paralyzed mother is kind of like the justification he uses and the novel is really just about his day-to-day life as he goes to cruising spots and takes care of his mother and tries to go to the gym occasionally like tries to recapture his old experiences and it ends with uh, the death of his mother who he never came out to and uh, Hmm. no love is actualized and it is the most upsetting novel I think I've ever read I was I honestly was like rereading I was finishing it this morning before this call and like it was I remember walking back from my boyfriend's to this house and I was like, I felt so just like hollow and like emptied from that. It was those like final, like that whole like kind of final section once it's happening. And when I realized that there isn't no love for this man, it was, it really, it like, it like sucked it out of me. It was so powerful. No, I remember reading this over and over again in college. I think I read it three times consecutively the first time I read it. And uh, I, I knew immediately it was going to be what I, I focused a lot of on for my thesis and just going with it through uh, my pen and like my sticky notes. Like I became really morbid about gay culture for like six months and I could not be convinced of any goodness in it for a long time. And I can see exactly why that, like I felt that even walking back, I'm like, because like it's a segment even like where he returns home from the baths and he used to say hi to his father who was sitting there and like they would just like they would just like wave but he's he went back up to like his room or whatever and then like, you have him immediately juxtaposed with just like there's the ashes and silence and the tv isn't on and just like just realizing just and then like i think he's also an only child which we both are as well right which is interesting you know and i'm like it gets to the point where it's like one day like we will be you know responsible for like our mother or our father or whatever and there's no like sibling for us to even like have to also love or rely on. So it's like truly like being this gay, isolated, only experience, both living so far away from our families. It's, it was a lot. 
but I'm 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 so happy that it it, it exists. Yeah, because this book, um, it it really does love gay culture and gay people, but it also yeah. hates it like a lot. It's very furious, and there's not any forgiving light to it at all. All of the sublime, beautiful experience that is like captured in Dance from the Dance is so distant and melancholic. So even when it appears, like you, you don't get any hope from it. And that is one of the reasons I love it so much. Is it's so fearlessly apocalyptic. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Exactly. It really is. Uh, and yeah, and it's like the way he was describing just the men as well, like describing like the older men as manatees or like just these like lumbering like aid ridden elephants that were just like sunken in the shower and things and i'm like god damn they're truly like the way that he can describe beauty but then also completely tear down like the human male form as well like he sees the both ends of it so it was like pulled me back as i was like oh i'm like horny and then i'm like i'm horribly sad and it was just like that i guess really is the gay experience yeah and i'm glad i've had some time since um, the last time I read this novel because I was able to kind of like laugh a little bit this time because it gets so dark and upsetting to the point where it can kind of be a little funny. I I wrote down a lot of quotes from it that I, because uh, I just am so obsessed with the way that this man writes like horror basically. And uh, he writes, this gym in a Florida strip mall is all glitz, mirrored walls, neon tubing, recorded music, spandex, leotards, aerobics, and stairmasters. It induces in him a feeling of death. <laughs> or like, uh, I love. I also, oh, go ahead. I also like was writing one down. It was like wiping the drool from the side of her mouth that follows a coughing spell, thinking of pre come emerging from Becker's penis. Like, oh God! Just, <laughs> I was like, babe, Andrew, that is the mother. <laughs> I all of the ways that he does like the apocalyptic sex stuff in here is just so good i i just wrote so many i want to read them all basically but it was like he's talking about he's talking about cruising at like the what do they call it the tubs mm-hmm, the which, tubs. which is also disgusting and sounds like alien pods or something seriously the tubs they couldn't even go to the bath no it's uh it had done him no good when after licking his rectum lark got up to obtain a condom the man stood up frowning wrapped a towel around his chiseled torso said I don't think so, and stormed out of the room. <laughs> oh, I love gay people. Oh, I know. Because that's so mm-hmm. accurate. How many times have you done, has that exactly happened to every man? Like, seriously, it, it exactly happens. And it's, yeah, or just, like, the... Are you there? Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, you just cut out for a sec. Oh. Okay, I'm sorry. sure you said something um, genius. What did you say? I, I, really, I forget. I was like, what were you just saying? Wait, what happened? Yeah. I think I read a quote. <laughs> read a quote. It was like about, yeah, the, licking the rectum and like, yeah. Um, oh, the <sighs> rectum. My God. he The rectum is a grave is something he says. Here. <laughs> <laughs> the rectum is a grave. It's where everything dies. It's like eventually it just gets so big we fall into it. Like it just, it's the inevitable nature of like our butthole. R.I.P. No, I think he literally calls it like a black hole. He, uh, yeah. the, the rectum has reasons the mind knows not of. The rectum and of course the heart. We need to touch one another and be touched to ground ourselves. Um, my God. I <laughs> love the way he like, pro- like just like proposes like these deities onto these like 
words and things and like body parts because it, it really is i mean like that is like what so much of our life is spent obsessing about and like it holds that divine power over us and for him to just like make it so demonic and devilish i love it yeah and dancing from the dance has a lot of religious evocations like throughout the novel and it's like going to the club is like going to a mm-hmm. holy service and this also does like the same thing but now it's like awake like constantly it's like always yeah. a funeral um and some of the chapter titles are so funny too like there's one chapter called youth and beauty and the next one is called age and decrepitude <laughs> <laughs> everything yeah, is, uh, is terrible describing like when he's like going through like the whatever is it the senior care home and then he like immediately juxtaposes it with now going through the bathhouse and it's just like it really like there is that general like everything is dead and decaying including me and it's impossible to escape yeah another favorite quote i'm i just will not stop reading these quotes because i'm so obsessed with all of them but he says oral sex is at this point my main connection to the human race (laughs) (laughs) which i feel the same way Right, like how else can I be actually close to someone if the dick is not in my mouth? Right, yeah, I mean, we're talking about it in the first portion, it's like sexuality and like the horny urge is like the this ancient feeling that arises biologically in all humans, and it's like, yeah, like engaging with that is like touching the entirety of the human race. Absolutely. And that's so dark, and I don't know what to do with this book like it's like i've seen what's coming like i've seen like this hellish apocalypse that has like no escape and it's like now what i know the dust storm is like only picking up speed and it's like literally encroaching on us so like do we like take this book and build shelter within it like can we find the way like even like the line like conservatives he thinks being strict and uh puritanical are always better at sex I'm like, oh, it's like, what do we have to embrace? Like, what does he know? What has he always seen? Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, I was like, well, maybe I should like start trying to like have sex with like older, less attractive people. And like, but I don't want to sound like I'm like doing charity work or something. But, you know, then I, uh, I guess I will tell this story. I was going to meet someone in Tokyo today and then I met him and I couldn't do it. And I had to say, Dame and like, leave i mean now i just became like a character in the beauty of men to that guy and it's like traumatized him you have sent him like spiraling for the next like week and he'll just forever fantasize about what went wrong and all it was you being like i'm so sorry i cannot yeah it's just you know standing there outside the convenience store in kabuki cho i was like no i'm so sorry i'm so sorry that you took an hour and a half train ride but i just i can't the plague of men because this is the problem of the novel it's like it it sees this but it, it doesn't like blame people for Mm-mm. falling into this trap because it's you know inevitable and how things decay and break down is like now what no, that's what it is like you see like it is just like the general like you have him like following like the college students or like watching them from afar and like just being able to like see the youth that he can no longer grasp onto. And I'm also, I, I mean, how old is he in this? Like, I'm trying to like, I think, I think he's, he's like, like just 40. 40. Yeah. I'm like, girl, you're not that old. Like I keep thinking like, he's like truly like dying and decrepit, like at like an older age, but it's like, I guess, you know, it's just so hard to see to that point, but uh, his hair is gray now. Like he's just, it feels like his skin sagging. He can't look at himself in the mirror at all. It's just like, okay. He's like, my butt is firmer than it's ever been, but what's the point? Because my rectum is a grave. Seriously. 
I mean, that's kind of the, I, I guess, the kind of criticism people might, like, levy at this. is like, it is, like, so self-gazingly morbid and weepy that mm-hmm. it can it can be overwhelming and seem maybe like fake to people but i think that presenting it in this oppressively upsetting like hopeless book is like i think honestly like the takeaway from it and like what you can keep and gain from is like this book exists like it's a piece of art that mm-hmm finds all these things that art is the way out it's like to create and experience emotion and to record and value and then talk about it with your friends like that is what you can do and and i and i'm so glad that like that is what we were able to do with this because like just being if i like to read this and just like sit on my own with it and like not really like have an idea it's like yes, like, I've had these feelings and I've had these thoughts, but, like, it is the ability to then, like, let him come into me and then us be together now. Yeah, exactly. Like, now we're having this conversation in the void on Zoom and this weird haunted radio apocalypse, like, broadcast is people will go listen to it. And, you know, the feeling and the terror and horror that I'm sure Andrew Holleran, like, really experiences, like, when he was writing the book, like, now that feeling has become like tangible and like it's real now because he made it into art right yeah and it's like the way he describes like how america had truly fallen like and he's writing this in 2000 and like we all know what comes in 20 (laughs) in 20 years from then but it's just like the true like it's like will we ever escape like the dismal like just world that we are in except when we're at the dance well this is the thing that's so sad is that like Holleran was able to, you know, 21 years ago, like, turn all of these upsetting feelings, like, and make it into a glimmering object that we can now talk about together. But it's like, everyone has just bought into cheap, asexual identity art. And to do that is to then approach, like, this upcoming, like, destruction and, like, a horrifying hellscape of like late gay life that you know is coming to both of us yeah. like quicker and quicker every year it's like to not have art about it and to not have people earnestly like share their feelings and their horniness and their weird feelings and ideas about it like it makes you unprepared and it's going to be way worse for people who haven't like tried to process it through art somehow and i'm terrified for like what will this like what will be like resembled or left like of this time as we like look back and like read the books like the love simons and like those books of our time and like what it even means to like be gay anymore and it'll be like was there anything was there any sex was there any fun was there anything happening i'm like yes we are we're the we're we're doing the work we're out there we're like living like the true gay life but it's like up to like us and like to find these and like tell our weird disgusting immoral stories yeah that's exactly it and um both of us are artists like you're working on your film and mm-hmm. I write and I'm doing my podcast and my drag. And it's like, hopefully the TikTok era of bland white gay scolding um, will eventually be subsumed by this generation of young gay podcasters and filmmakers who are going to hopefully do something shake it up and like make people watch and like get them like back out of their comfort zone and into the one that we're currently existing at and like 
obviously we have still so much to like grow and discover and learn and that's what i'm so excited about but i'm like i already have things that i'm like i need to share like i need people to be like coming up with me like i look around some of my friends and i'm like why are you not getting it like why are you not what what's not clicking in your brain i'm like go and have sex like it's okay like there's sometimes like oh like you want to go to the bathhouse and i'm like yes i do like why do you not and just like it's it's sad it is and now we have the chance to do something about it. Like, I, I just don't know why people don't even have this impulse. It's like, I feel this huge emotion when I saw, like, one hot guy in Shinjuku. Like, my whole life was, like, spiraling to a, like, a, a complete chaos point of death. And it's like, I need people to know that and to, like, see it. And, like, I want to, like, morbidly show it to everybody. And, like, how can you not? Like, do you just want to, like, leave that there? Absolutely. Like, how can you not talk about this, like, exquisite specimen that, like, barely even came across you? And, like, the way that it can just completely ruin your life for, like, however long it takes. Like, why do you not want to, like, share that with people and instead just be like, here's the same, like, reaction video meme that, like, this is Grinder posts? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Ew. No. Ugh. But th- th- I'm saying there's a chance. Like, there is. We can do it. We have to work. And I think people are, I think there is awakenings happening as well. I just think it's still like we are engaging and it's like, we're all a part of it. Like it's coming across our timelines. It's coming across our discussions, but like we're just engaging with the wrong form of discourse. And it's like hard because then we have to like just battle out of that discourse to even get somewhere worthwhile or interesting or progressive or transgressive. Like it's, I don't under. It's hard, but we have a way out. I like, we'll have to just carefully navigate the labyrinth. Yeah, and it's amazing that Andrew Holleran did it 20 years ago perfectly, and no one knows about this fucking book. Mm, well, hopefully that all changes after this episode, Zach. No, I mean, yeah, it's, it is it is really horrifying to me how underappreciated he is. Like, yeah. even Larry Kramer said this about Holleran himself. It's like, the... Holleran is one of the greatest writers of, like, the 21st and 20th century, like, one of the best writers of prose, some of the most, like, aching and upsetting and beautiful and moving, like, literature, and just, like, his style, but no one knows about him because he's gay, basically, and people are not interested in reading, like, these gay sex confessionals. Exactly, because it, once again, is like, it's too much sex. It's not approachable. And I'm like, but this really is what life is. And like, you look back and I'm like, you, he's like his own F. Scott Fitzgerald in a way. Like he really is just cataloging such a, a time and he makes you really feel like you are there and with it. And these characters have like wrong moral compasses, but it is our own like journey. And that is what we want. Yeah. <clears throat> the New York Times hated this book because they said it, it's like, <clears throat> my God. <laughs> wow. The cigarettes. Okay, let me try that again. The New York Times fucking hated this book and they like, ripped it apart when they reviewed it because they said it's way too involved inside of its gay world. And it's like for audiences outside of it, it's like looking at an object that they can't like touch. I'm like, that's the whole fucking point of literature and of art is to create your worldview and externalize it. And it doesn't matter if like someone feels the same way because if you can successfully portray your feelings in psychology and worldview then like that's that's art that is art and you can read it and i'm like imagine like you know like for like his mother character whatever i don't know what his actual biography is like with his mother or like whatever but just like to have like 
a mother figure read this like in the way because obviously we at the end he doesn't get a chance to like come out to his mom and like you have this I'm like this is perfect sort of a text to read for like a parent or like other like just people who are involved at all with like the gay culture they so speak of so uh, it's it, yeah now that I've read this I will be like literally handing out copies on the street or like at pride I'll be like go home no I seriously like want to like stand on street corners with copies of this book and just like give it out like Mormons do with like whatever <laughs> like the book of Mormon seriously and i'll like i'll wear the silly underwear and like the little white tie or whatever it is like that's cute yeah you need to do the bandana moment again but just like make sure that there's a lot of copies of the beauty of men visible yeah (laughs) just like i'm standing on a huge stack of it and like that'll get the girls going i've been going to the island i guess about six summers now and i love it very much in certain respects but simply the the fact of going there six summers, each summer you go, it's a different island, and you go through a lot of uh, considerations, I guess, so that at one point in your going out there, you say, God, I can't do this again, I've done this for five summers, go somewhere else, and you keep going back, which is the, the dilemma of Malone. Is there another place? I really don't know, maybe, I, I was told it's silt. <laughs> I don't know, but I uh, have been going there a lot, and I'm not going there as much. Uh, but certainly what's wonderful is to watch these legions of young men arrive, young and, and of all ages arrive and who have never been there and find the place just as enchanting as I did in the first summer. You know, I think it's going to go on in that sense. It's living always as it was for me, simply in the minds of other people, in the minds of other people, in the minds of other people, in the minds of other people. In the minds of other people.